0: This morning we're, we're in a series, uh, so if you have a Bible, if you want to flip that to Colossians, you might want to get there, Colossians chapter 1. We'll, we'll get there in a minute. Uh, first, uh, seems to be a theme for me. I, I have a confession to make. Um, I, I, my name's Mark, and uh, I have a hate-love-hate hate relationship with all-you-can-eat buffets. I'm just going to say it. I do. I have a hate-love-hate hate relationship. I say that on purpose. I, I, I hate them and then I love them and then I hate them. I, I hate them because, let's just be real, All You Can Eat Buffets is a place where it's, it's quantity over quality, right? Come on, let's just be honest. Even good All You Can Eat Buffets are still quantity over quality. I mean, there's a lot of it, but it's not that good. And so I hate it for that, um, but then I love it because it's quantity over quality. Um, I love that I can eat as much as I want. Come on, somebody. I mean, you can just go. It's just like everything about being American, isn't it? Like, I can go there, and I can eat as much as I want, and I can just, I can just fill up my stomach. But then I hate it again because I just did that. Right? Like, I ate too much. Um, All-you-can-eat buffet is, is really the epitome of what it means to, to have bigger eyes than you have a stomach. Right? You go, and all the food is there, and you want to eat it all, so you get the plate, and then you go back for seconds. And if you're like me, for thirds. Okay, and fourths, and, uh, and then there's dessert, which doesn't count. So before you know it, you're sick and you're leaving, and you don't have the capacity to handle all that it is that you have tried to, you know, partake of and ingest within yourself. And, and I bring that up this morning because we're about to hit a portion of the book of Colossians that's sort of like an all-you-can-eat buffet, except it's not quality, uh, quantity over quality. It's just uh, the absolute quality and the absolute quantity. We're about to hit a, a portion in uh, Colossians where, where we're really gonna dive into uh, Paul really dealing with uh, who is Jesus. And so because of that this morning, I, I just wanna warn you, uh, we've been making our way through the text pretty steadily. And, and this morning, uh, we're gonna do something that we decided as we kind of landed on Colossians 15 through 20 being one passage together um, We wanted to take some more time to really dive into this. So if you're following along in the booklets, which are over there at guest services, by the way, if you want one, you can go grab one. Uh, Really, guest services for us is just, our church has a concierge. So you need anything, you go talk to them, they'll answer your questions, Um, and, and they have booklets for you that you can follow along in the series if you would like them. They're $72 a piece. They're totally worth it though, right? Thanks, like three of you are like, sure. Um, No, they're free, grab one, uh, follow along. And so we've given you two weeks to really study this out because this may be uh, one of the densest portions of scripture that that I've ever had to preach through. So in a lot of ways, I feel very um, incapable of getting through this. So we sort of gave you two weeks to study through it and we gave me two weeks to preach through it. Um, And so we're gonna take several passes at it. It's like an all-you-can-eat buffet. We'll take the pass and then next week we'll come back and we'll do another one and we'll see what more we can glean from it. Um, but before we really jump into Colossians uh, 1, 15-20, I want to just stop real fast and give you a little bit of background so you kind of know why Paul kind of does this, um, why he sort of enters into this, this sort of a moment. And, and the reason is you have to understand that there were false teachers at that day that taught that Jesus was a phantom, that, that he was, he was a, 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 a form or maybe you could say a projection that came from God but he wasn't really God. There's actually a heresy of that day. I love this. Um, Said he's not really actually God. He's not even really actually a person. There was this teaching that that went around uh, the first century that said, wherever Jesus walked, he was such a phantom, he didn't even leave footprints. Like, and that makes you wanna follow him? Like I just I don't understand where the like the motivation for that kind of a teaching came from. And plus, if you read in the Bible, if you read the Gospels, it utterly disproves that because Jesus, come on, he got down on his on he he, he stooped down and he rode in the dirt. The Bible tells us in one portion he he ate with his disciples and ultimately he was nailed to a tree. So how phantom could this phantom really be? the The, the point was not his form. The point was that he was not really actually God, but rather he came from God. That was the teaching, that, that this, this underpinned an idea that said that Jesus was one of many things that we need to experience fullness or completion. They actually taught that there were a lot of phantoms, there are a lot of projections that came from God, and, and we have to sort of move from one to another to get a nice growth. It was, it, it, the idea is that if you really want to level up in your life, that what you really need is to kind of go to all these different things. And, and Jesus is one of them, but there's other angels and spirits and things that you need to kind of visit and partake of as well. And, and we sort of laugh at that in the modern church and go, isn't that cute? The reality is we totally still believe that. The way we say it now is, well, Jesus is great for Sunday. Jesus is fantastic for me for my spiritual life, my religious life. I need to push it a little bit, and I let him in a little bit into my moral life. But if I really want to be fulfilled, if I really want to be satisfied, if I really want the, the real deepest level of enjoyment in life, I got to go other places as well. I got to go a little over here and a little over there, and, and sure, Jesus is great, but I'm also going to kind of need, you know, he, he's, he's good for religion, but, you know, he can't really do anything to satisfy me when it comes to who I am. I've got to go to my job for that and really accomplish something and be all I can be. And, and you know, he's great and all for, for kind of making Sundays better, but, you know, Saturday nights, that's kind of up to me to make as fun as it can be. I don't really need Jesus for that. So we pigeon Jesus off into these little sections and we say, well, he's kind of the God of Sunday. He's the God of my spirituality, but, but he better not tell me how I should handle my finances, how I should treat my kids. He certainly doesn't speak at all to my sexuality or to my identity or to any of those things. He's just kind of a little thing we put over here and, and kind of have pigeoned into my Sunday. It's, he can have that, but you know what? Beyond that, I'm not really going to have any of it. Paul here is going to address this head on. After encouraging them to deepen their, 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 their level in him, to, to, to be planted in him, after speaking of their salvation, Paul can't help but begin to speak of their Savior. So Colossians chapter 1. Um, I totally forgot to update this. Just Listen. I'm good at this. Colossians chapter one, verses 15 through 20. says, he is the image, everybody say image. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, say by him. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him. Everybody say through him. All things were created through him and for him. Now, you guys are catching on quick. Created by him, created through him, created for him. Verse 17, and he is before all things. In him, all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, to reconcile to himself himself, All things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Let's pray together, church. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning. God, I thank you that you are not a dead and passive God, but you are a living and active God. And so we thank you that as we come to your word, it's not a dead and passive word, it's a living and active word. And so we rejoice in that. We celebrate that, God. And we ask that you would just come and you would speak deeply to our hearts this morning. Lord, I, I, I pray that, that you would break down the walls that we try to put around you. Lord, that we would, we would not have the, the, the ability to be deceived that you can be contained in a box. That we can place you just in one portion of our life and keep you separated and segregated and, and distant from everything else because we know, God, that you come and when you come, you take over. So that's what we're asking for this morning. We're asking for you to come and for you to take over, for you to to come and to speak so deeply that it, it breaks through all those walls and we begin to see you for who you really are. God, that you would touch us with your spirit, that you would draw us with your voice, that we might hear your word, receive your word, be changed, God, be renewed, reshaped, God, that there would be a renovation, a reformation of our very souls, God, and that we might walk out of this place looking like, smelling like, talking like, walking like you a little bit more as we walk in obedience to what it is you speak to our hearts. But we ask that we would enjoy you this morning and that we would glorify you in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. So uh, Paul here is, is excited. He's, he's, he's talked about their salvation and now he begins to speak of their savior. He, he, he begins to, what, what we would call in the church world, in the Bible world, he, calls, he starts doing this thing we call magnifying the Lord. Now we need to understand this because I think there's a misunderstanding uh, by some believers as to what exactly it means to magnify the Lord. Because let's be honest, God is as big as big can be. We can't make God any bigger bigger than he already is so what in the world do we mean when we say we're going to magnify the lord well we have to understand that that there's two kind of ways that you can magnify things there's the there's the microscope way that's the way we think of most of the time where you take a microscope and a microscope takes something that's very very small and makes it look very very big and the world thinks that's what we're doing when we magnify the lord oh god's just this little tiny thing and we're trying to make him look really big in reality, what we mean when we say magnify the Lord, what I mean when I say Paul's magnifying the Lord is he's not, he's not microscope magnifying the Lord, he's telescope magnifying the Lord. What we're saying is that God is, is, is incredibly, astronomically, beyond our capacity, big. And what a telescope does is a telescope makes something that's very, very big and very far away come very, very close so you can behold it and you can enjoy it. Paul's trying to do is take the bigness of, of who Jesus is and, and, and telescope it so it can come in and live in our backyard. And, and what is Paul's answer to, to this? What is, his, what is his declaration? What's the message in these five verses? Simply, what's, what's Paul saying? What is he trying to convey to us? I'll put it really, really bluntly. Jesus is God. So the first thing we try to teach our we, we try to teach our kids when they were really really little. It's the first thing we try to get them to memorize: Jesus is God. He's not a God. He's not some God. He's not part of God. He's not he's not a piece of God. Jesus is God. He's he's trying to come at this teaching that says you can just kind of have Jesus off to the side as a little sideshow to your main show, and he's trying to say you you guys are missing the point on who Jesus is. Jesus. Is God? He doesn't come from God, he doesn't know about God, he doesn't have a revelation of God, he is God. This is a good place for Christians to say amen. He uses this phrase, he's the image of the invisible God. Dude, if that doesn't get like something kind of working in your head and your heart, I really don't know what will. He's the image of the invisible God. He, he, he's trying to say here, look, all people as human beings Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Why? Because we bear the image of God. But Jesus doesn't bear the image of God. He says he is the image of God. All people have dignity because all people are created in God's image. But Jesus is the very image of God. So Paul's going Paul's to make this statement. But what I love about Paul is Paul is going to give objective evidence of this absolute truth. Paul's going to give objective evidence of this absolute truth. Listen to me. I know that we live in a day and in a time and in a season where we are realizing that not everything, listen to me, not everything is as black and white and solid as we once thought it might be. The information we have available to us that quickly, I mean, you all realize, right, that you carry around like an alien supercomputer in your pocket, most of you. If it doesn't go like this when it opens, it's probably a supercomputer. I mean, the phones we carry around make us, give us the availability of so much information that it makes it hard, if we're really honest with ourselves, and we really want to listen to what we can hear, it makes it hard to go like, what can we know and what can't we know? What, what's really going on that can make life, if we're really honest, feel a little wiggly? This person has this evidence, this documentary says this thing. Dude, like, my wife and I like watching documentaries. Have you ever, have you ever lost your mind by trying to watch food documentaries on Netflix? I'm supposed to eat lots of meat and no meat. I'm supposed to eat all plant-based, but also not plant-based. It gets confusing to know what it, what it is we can know. And I'm gonna be honest, I think as believers, we have to be willing to live in a world that that's the reality that people live in. But listen to me, there's a lot of stuff you, you might not ever be able to solidly, absolutely, fundamentally know. Jesus' identity is not one of those things. We can know that we know that we know that we know who Jesus is. We don't have to wonder and worry and go, well, what if they find, what if they, and who, no, Jesus proves who he is. Proof, and Paul's gonna give us evidence. Who's excited about that? I'm excited about that. Paul's not just gonna say Jesus is God. He's gonna give us some evidence for it. So if you need a message, title for this morning since we gave you a, a spot to do that. Evidence of the Invisible. Paul's gonna give us evidence of this invisible God. He's gonna try to show us clearly. Because here's the thing. We live in a world where lots is bouncing around. And if we're gonna navigate that world, if we're not just gonna disconnect from it and plug our ears or or do the thing that we're really good at as Christians. I love us, I'm one of us, I'm on the team, but let me just point out an area after watching some tape of maybe some things we can do better. Maybe we don't just plug our ears, close our eyes, and scream. Maybe, maybe we learn to navigate through this, and I think one of the ways we have to navigate through this is we have to, if we're gonna be living our lives in an ocean of constantly changing wind and waves, we have to have an anchor. And that anchor is not the church you belong to or how much Bible you know how to read or how good your prayer life is. The anchor of your soul is Jesus. If it's anything else and you try to navigate the water, you will end up off very, very quickly. So instead, we say, no, Jesus is the anchor of our soul. So Paul here goes through, and I'm just gonna... uh, I'm just going to kind of point out again, we're going to take another pass passage this next week, so please don't expect me to go completely, totally, and, and plump, you know, the, into the depths of all of these things, but, but I want to just point out three things that he tries to show us as evidence that Jesus is God. First, he says, Jesus created all things. Jesus created all things. Seen and unseen, discovered and hidden, physical and the the, the physical world, the, the quantum world. Come on, whether whether it's it's planets or particles, whether it's earth or atoms, Jesus made everything. Everything you have ever seen, everything you will ever see, it all came from him. He is the creator of all things. He 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 touches on this, and I, I try to highlight it for us so I can move quickly here. He says, all things were made by him. That is, creation itself finds its origin in him. Can you stop and just kind of let your mind realize the depth of that statement? When we do take telescopes and we do point them out into the universe and we see things that we've never seen before, God made that. It came from him, it was made by him. Genesis one tells us that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. John one one says that in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, the word was there with God. All things that were made were made by him. Jesus is not some, like, tag-along to to God the Father who created all things. The, the, The Bible literally tells us that the entire Trinity was involved in the creation of the world. Jesus was there as the Word, causing all things to come into being. It says it was all made by him, but it says all things were made through him. We exist. We exist because he presently, currently right now, is holding everything into existence. If you talk to rabbis about Genesis 1, which I've gotten the chance to sit down with one and and talk to him, he explained something to me that I I had missed in all my years of reading Genesis. Uh, Whether you want to take the creation account absolutely literally or you want to give some room for some poetry and it really doesn't matter, the, the Bible makes it clear that God created everything by speaking it into existence, I have a friend who goes, well, that was the Big Bang. Okay, cool, fine, whatever. But this is what I missed. When it says that God said, let there be light and there was light. We think in our, in our Western mindset, that means God said one time, let there be light, and then, and then light was created. But the Hebrew mind understands that that word said means God is speaking light. And that's why there's still light. If Jesus were to stop saying light, Light would cease to exist. It, it was made by him, but you need to understand it was made through him. But can I pull this down into our level a little bit? The Bible makes it clear that you and I are breathing borrowed air. Genesis tells us that, that God made man differently than he made everything else. See, in everything else, he's spoken into existence. But man, he came down and he forms us with his hand that's why we have his image on us it's like his fingerprints are still on the clay that formed the very fabric of who we are Genesis 2 7 says after he did that he breathed everybody take a breath that's borrowed you didn't buy that and god even made you so you have to give it back it's a reminder every time you breathe that it's not yours we are breathing borrowed. But it goes even farther. This acts uh, seventeen twenty eight says that in him we live and move and have our being. In him we live and move and have our being. Everything was made by him, but everything was made through him. But it goes even deeper than that by calling Jesus creator. He's saying he, he, everything was made by him, everything is held together through him, everything was created through him. But then it says everything is for him. Everything that exists, exists on purpose. He has a purpose for everything he made. And what, what what's weirds me out, and this is gonna get us to our next thing, what weirds me out when he says everything was made for him, and the implication in, in the text is that everything was made for him for a purpose, and that purpose was to glorify him, to magnify him. Your purpose It's to glorify God. Realize that everything that was made was made to glorify him. Right now, right now, at this very moment, there there is a flower on a mountaintop somewhere that is opening up right now and letting out perfume that only Jesus gets to smell. Everything was made by him. Everything was made through him. Everything was made for him. So my question as I read through the text is, okay, what's he gonna use as evidence for everything was made for him? Is he gonna talk about planets and particles? Is he gonna talk about, is he gonna talk about the, the amazingness of, of our world? Is he gonna talk about mountains and rivers and canyons and the power of the ocean? No, do you know where Paul goes? He goes to rulers and authorities, thrones and dominions. Which begs the question for me, Why did he pick those things? Because we need to understand this is another place where our Western thinking comes into contact with the Bible. And this is when I said I don't want us to filter the Bible anymore. This is part of what I'm talking about. So so we come into contact with this. And what, what Paul's actually referring to is this. He's saying, look, Jesus is God. The, the people of this time, first century uh, people in, in this part of the world, they, they, they lived with an understanding that there was actual, factual, real, spiritual things going on in places we can't see. Makes us very uncomfortable. It was very normal for them. They understood that there was, there was powers at work behind the scenes. And I'm not talking about the Illuminati. Somebody actually came to our church one time and asked me, are you part of the Illuminati? I said, uh, I don't think so. So, said, well, your sign has a triangle on it. I said, no, it doesn't. It has four. <laughs> Freaked him out. They left. Um, we're the super Illuminati. No, I'm not talking about some behind the scenes people trying to manipulate. I'm talking about, I'm, I'm talking about evil in spiritual places that is conscious and is at work to its own will and its own desires, that is contrary to the purpose and the power and the plan that God has for the world. And these people knew this because they lived in a world that didn't try to hide it or ignore it or plug their ears and close their eyes and pretend like it wasn't there. These people also understood that, that, that thrones were, were there uh, as, as representatives of these, you can call them, false deities, this conscious evil. And Paul here lists them as evidence of the things that Jesus has created. And it makes me go, how is it that a, that a spiritual evil, how is it even, we can even put this on a level maybe some of you are more comfortable with, how is it that a wicked throne, because the people ruling from thrones at this time in the world were not exactly the kind of people that any of us would choose to submit our lives to. Hello, somebody. Oh, you're in debt? You get to be a slave now. (laughs) All Americans are happy that that's not a law anymore. We're all glad that Visa doesn't, doesn't get to just like put us to work at no pay. Why is it that he would say that these wicked things, these evil things are there to glorify God? Because Jesus didn't just create all things Jesus conquered all all things. See, Jesus created all things. Now, we know from Genesis that God created all things good. Correct? Everything he goes through, everything, everything is like, this is good, this is good, this is good, this. Well, there's one thing he said wasn't good, and that's a dude by himself. Can I get an amen from all the single men in the room? Um, Like, Jesus, Jesus, God created all things, like, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good. Whoa, dude by himself, not good. Let's get him a helper. <laughs> Women get all offended like, why are you call me a helper? I'm like, because I need help. <laughs> um, uh, that, should, that should elevate your status, not bring it down. And also, by the way, Jesus called the Holy Spirit a helper. So you're, being, you're, you're, you're having a, 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 a descriptive word about you used that is used about God. So really, come on, don't be offended by being called a helper. Um, and besides, you look at your husband and you know he needs help. That wasn't even in the notes. That was just free. (laughs) God makes everything and he makes it good. So when he made these beings, we need to understand they were made good. They corrupted themselves. But why did God permit that, allow that, plan that, purpose that? What was the purpose? It was so that he could triumph over them on your behalf. You See, everything exists to, to, to glorify, to magnify Jesus. And God's purpose in creation was that in creating these beings was to triumph over them on our part. If you want to study this, by the way, you can jump into the Book of Jude talks about this quite a bit. I don't have time to get there this morning. Um, but we, we, need, we need to understand that the reason why I think Paul brings this up to these people is he's, he's talking to them and he's, he's trying to magnify their Savior. And what he's trying to convey to them is you have nothing to be afraid of. You don't need to be ruled by fear of these things that you know that are out there. These, these people are, are finding Christ and they're finding their salvation and their security in him, but I, I can imagine as they, as they hear the, the teaching of their day, as they hear these things being taught, they, they start to be filled with fear. Are these things somehow gonna be able to overcome us again somehow? And, and he's saying, listen, Jesus has triumphed over all of these things. He has conquered all dominion and authority and power. You do not need to be afraid. What you need to do is rest in him and his victory and his triumph. Because listen to me, they may still have the power to harm you, but they cannot end you. There may come a day where a a person walks through, I'm not prophesying, walks through these doors and shoots me dead in the pulpit. But he can't stop my soul from being with Jesus, which is what I'm really doing. I can be harmed and I can be hindered. See, we, we get into this, this idea of the victory of Jesus and we try to make it this thing where like, if you pick Jesus and you're on his team, nothing bad will ever happen to you. Which is, was probably really assuring for John the Baptist when they cut his head off. Because he read that bumper sticker that we all saw at the Christian bookstore, like the safest place to be is the center of God's will. I'm sure that was really meaningful to John the Revelator as they boiled him alive in oil or to Paul as they got him stoned. Not only the new way of getting stoned. But we made legal a while back, us in Colorado, no. The old way where they took rocks and they baseball pitched them at your head. I'm sure he thought the safest place to be is the center of God's will. The reason I harp on this a lot, this idea that safety and God's will go hand in hand is because then you start being led by safety instead of being led by the Spirit. We're called to be obedient to what Christ calls us to do, not to do the safe thing all the time. Have I seen God deliver people out of situations that they should have been delivered out of? Absolutely but you need to understand the reason why they can harm you, but they cannot ultimately hinder the purpose that God has set out for you, which is to glorify him and enjoy him richly for all time, because the only weapon they have in their arsenal was your sin, and that's been dealt with. It's the only thing they can ever do is, is if you sinned, if you, were, if you were a sinner, then they could put you rightly under God's wrath, but Jesus paid your debt. Hello, somebody. So if, if listen to me, if you're a, a blood-bought child of God, if you're a spirit-filled son of the Most High, if you're a gospel-bearing, Christ-exalting one, then they can't really do anything. Don't get so hung up on the temporal that you miss the eternal. They might still have a, a part to play in this world, and I don't have time to get into this today, but they might still have a part to play in this world, but ultimately, whatever they do here, it it. Paul says it doesn't really matter in light of the glory that we're gonna know there. So Jesus created all things, but then Jesus conquered all things. He conquered the corruption that we allowed into the earth. And this is where it gets like super, super good. Now Jesus calls all. So he creates all things. He conquers his enemies. Then he goes on to say that Jesus is now calling all to himself in his body, the church. Now I wanna be clear because there's a, there's a teaching going around in the, in the church today. It's really not in the church as much as it is in books and blogs <laughs> um, that says that because of what Christ did on the cross, everyone is guaranteed salvation. And the, the problem with this, is, and they, they point actually two verses like this one. He reconciled all things, whether in heaven or on earth, to himself, so we're all good. The problem with that is it doesn't hold up to the rest of Scripture. It doesn't hold up to to the call of all to repent and believe, which is laid out very, very clearly in Scripture. So if you're here thinking, like, hey, cool, Jesus died, he rose again, like that whole, I mean, I I like, I love Christmas, and I like Easter, so I'm like, good, good. you have not, I love you. If you have not repented, which means if you, have not, if you have not confessed that you are a sinner, that you are wrong and he is right, that you do what you want when you should do what he wants, if you have not confessed that, if you've not allowed the reality of that wrongness to break your heart, and if you have not cried out to him for the grace not just to forgive you of your sin, but to free you from it, I love you, but I cannot give you any assurance of your salvation. Well, I went to this conference once and they played this really, really good worship song and I cried. So I'm good, right? I mean, I'm still living with my girlfriend and we still sleep together, but we're good because I cried at that conference like eight years ago and still like when a song that sort of sounds like it comes on the radio, I still kind of cry. I mean, I don't like really cry, but I cry inside. So we're good, Right? I love you. I don't think so. <laughs> so. He created all things, conquered all things. What does it mean then when he says that, that he, he is reconciling to himself all things? What it means is this. Nothing in you disqualifies you from the salvation that he purchased for you. Nothing, you, you, you have no excuse to go like, I would repent and believe, but it wouldn't work for me. You, you don't have a doctor's note to get out of gym class. Okay, like you don't get like the like, I don't have to do that because. And you can take that either way. You can't be so good, hello, that you somehow have, have re- alleviated your need for repentance and belief. And you can't be so bad that you somehow don't get it, that you've disqualified yourself. And I say this to you personally, but I also want to say it to us as a church. There's nobody, nobody, nobody that you get to walk by and go, no, 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 they, they don't need, they don't, they don't get Jesus. Well, they they've got they 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 voted for the wrong person. They have gender identity issues. They're the wrong race. They oh they they dress like that. No, thank you. You don't get to do that. Everybody gets to hear about Jesus and everybody gets the opportunity to repent and believe. Everybody, everybody, everybody. Because he reconciled all things to himself. All things. He didn't die just so that upper white, middle class Republicans get to be saved. It's never very popular when I say that. So I'm gonna close and I'm not even gonna put them up one at a time. I'll just do it all at once because... I'm getting the looks. I wanna land this in our backyard. Because we can talk about it on the big scale, but I wanna put it where we live. You are created. You, 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 you were created for him. He, I used to say it this way. He thought of you, and the idea of you was so infatuating to him that he created everything to meet you. You were created for him and your enemies are conquered by him. That thing that seems to hold you captive, that, that worry, that stress, that sin, that, that struggling, that doubt, that discouragement, that heartbreak, that disappointment, he, he conquered all of it. It was done by him, you don't have to conquer it, you have to rest in the fact that he has conquered it, which is in and of itself, I'm gonna just tell you the truth, a place where you have to rest. I have to rest so I can rest in his rest, or else I won't rest. You feel me? You were created for him, your enemies are conquered by him, and you're a new creation through him.